first. Bulk of the message will be in 22, but we'll be in Genesis 21 for a little bit. When I put together a, a message plan, it's usually months ahead of when those messages actually get preached. And you think you have a great outline or a great uh, plan in place or a great schedule. And I think, it's, I think it's great to plan ahead like that. That's just how my mind works. But a lot of times, God is, let me say a lot of times, all the time, God is out ahead of us. The Holy Spirit is out ahead of us, aligning those things just perfectly, either for the situation that we're in or however it might be. I joke around with Tim and with, with John as they, they teach Sunday school. It seems like it always overlaps in some way with what I'm about to preach, and that's because the Word always agrees with the Word. And I didn't schedule it this way intentionally, but honestly, the message this morning is the introduction for tonight's message. And yes, we were in Ephesians this morning, and we're in Genesis tonight, and you think those two things really shouldn't connect, yet they do. This morning, if you remember, we talked about how our beliefs push our behavior, how our beliefs propel forward our behavior, and what we do comes from who we are in Christ. Our, our practice will never be too far removed from our principles. And tonight, in Genesis 21 and 22, we see this, this really tremendous illustration of that in the life of Abraham. We'll see vividly illustrated for us the principle of behavior following belief when Abraham is tested by God and he offers Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, just recapping a little bit, We've been through Genesis 12 up through now chapters 21 and 22, and we've seen this same thing repeated over and over, and that is that there's this continuous reiteration of a promise, a son of promise that would come to Abraham and Sarah. We saw it in our very first message several months ago in chapter 12. God told Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. In chapter 13, God told Abraham that his descendants would be like the dust of the earth. In chapter 15, God said that the son of promise would come from Abraham's body. That's why it could not be through Eliezer, his servant. In Genesis 17, God said that he would multiply Abraham exceedingly and that he would be the father of many nations. That's why he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And then in the rest of chapter 17 and chapter 18, the promise gets even more specific. It's like God is narrowing down his scope. And he says to Abraham, you will have a son. You will call him Isaac. And he will be born this time next year. And so we went from this kind of, you know, big, broad idea of being a father of many nations. And God is narrowing it down with specificity to this time next year, a son named Isaac. Well, in Genesis chapter 21, we see that promise come to pass. Genesis chapter 1, let's read the first seven verses. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh. 
and all who hear me will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Verse 5 tells us that Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Now, from previous information, we know that Sarah is about 10 years younger than Abraham. So Sarah would be about 90 years old. Don't miss the fact that this is a miracle of God. A miracle of God that he would give Abraham and Sarah a child at this point in their lives. And this promise that God has made for for years now, we're talking a promise that's over 25 years in the making. God has said, I will do this. And now at this point, it happens. God keeps his promises even though it looks impossible. God can always overcome the odds. Never doubt. Never doubt God. As God had instructed, they call him Isaac. The name Isaac means one who laughs or one who rejoices. In verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. Talk about irony, right? What was Sarah doing the last time we saw her? She was laughing, wasn't she? But not at all the same type of laugh. Everybody here has a different type of laugh, don't they? Right? And it's pretty funny sometimes to listen to the different ways people laugh. When Sarah was laughing in in, uh, chapter 18, verse 12, she was laughing not in a joyous, you know, that's funny type of way. She was laughing in a what way? Almost a mocking way. Mocking God in a sense that, (laughs) yeah, like that's going to happen. Remember Abraham, 17, 17. Chapter 17, verse 17. Abraham, it says, when God told him that they would have a son in their old age, what did Abraham do? Remember? He laughed. He laughs. And now they have a son whom God says you're going to name him Isaac, which means one who laughs. They're both laughing now. Everyone is laughing here, but it's an entirely different type of laugh, isn't it? This is a laugh of, of joy and of happiness. Because when God keeps his promises, there is joy. There should be joy in our life. They're acknowledging here the the undeserved joy that God has given to them. Can you imagine with me? You need to to put on your sanctified imagination, right? Put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Imagine the relief and the excitement when Isaac was born. Excitement because it's a miracle. Look what God has done. And a relief, finally, that they're out of that waiting and that wondering of how God is going to answer his promise and that relief that comes when we don't have to try to figure that out anymore. We don't have to try to step in for God like they did earlier with Ishmael. We don't have to offer God an option as as Abraham did with Eliezer earlier. There's a relief here that this is God keeping the promise that he has made. 25 years in the making is this promise. And God comes through. And here comes this child, this child in old age. This child that isn't supposed to happen, isn't supposed to come at this point. You know, Isaac is not just some random kid in a far-off village like, oh great, another kid. No, 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 this is the son of promise. This is the child. Watch this. This is the child that the faithfulness of God hinged upon. This is how important this is. 
If this child doesn't come, the rest of the Bible crumbles. Why? Because we would be able to point back and say, see, God didn't keep his promise. He let Abraham and Sarah get too old, and then they couldn't have children, and they didn't have Isaac when God said there was going to be a son of promise. And if that's true, then God can't be trusted. Faithfulness in God falls apart if Isaac does not come. The plan of redemption in Scripture is over if God cannot keep his promise. Because Isaac points us ahead to what? To who, I should say? Christ, the son of promise who is to come that brings joy to people. Can you imagine their joy? Imagine their excitement? He's here. The one we've waited for is here. Chapter 22. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The son of promise is here. He's come. We're excited for it. A few years later, Abraham, take your son, the son of promise, Isaac, your beloved son, the one you've waited for, the one whom the promise flows, the one who, through whom your descendants will come, the one who has brought you so much joy, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice on Mount Moriah. What? Really? We've waited this whole time for this son, and now this? After all that waiting, after all that struggling, and a few years after he, ar- he arrives, Abraham is supposed to kill him. You say, what on earth is God doing? What is God doing? Well, verse 1 tells us of chapter 22. It came to pass after these things that God, what? Tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. Abraham. God is testing Abraham's faith in him. Does Abraham trust in God enough to obey him even when it means the death of the long-awaited promised son? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Would you do it? A promise 25 years in the making. Would you do it? Would you risk the loss of the one that has brought you so much joy? Would you risk Joy for obedience to God? And you say, well, why would God test Abraham like this? After all that Abraham has been through, he's been through a lot already and there's still more coming. Why this? Why now? God always knows what he's going to do and he always knows when he's going to do it. Abraham's faith was much stronger now than it was 30 years ago. Would you agree? I think we could say that. His faith is much stronger now than it was 30 years ago. It was much stronger now than it was when he went down into Egypt and lied about Sarah instead of trusting God to take care of him. It's much stronger now than when he and Sarah conspired to have a child through Hagar and they ended up with the whole Ishmael debacle. Abraham receives his biggest test when his faith in God was the biggest. Now note this. Faith doesn't mean fewer hardships. It might mean 
even more. You realize that? Faith, faith in God. Because a lot of people will tell you, oh, just have faith in God. Everything will work out, this, that, and the other thing. You know, God will make everything good. Just, you know, have... No, faith sometimes does not mean fewer hardships. It sometimes might mean even more. Because God wants you to trust in him. And he's testing and trying that faith. You know what a great Old Testament example of that is? Job. Whom God said, check this guy out. See if there's anyone else like him. And Job's faith actually brought more hardships on him than less. Isn't that encouraging for you tonight? <laughs> Doesn't sound too encouraging, but I think it's true. We see a pattern throughout Scripture. Because God is testing us, He is trying us, so that our faith that is strong would be even stronger. It would come through like gold, tried in a furnace, purified. Now, we're sitting here at the end of verse 2. God has said, do this, Abraham. Offer the son of promise as a sacrifice. And before we get to verse 3, I want to pause, because there's potentially here a lot that happens between verses 2 and 3. I want to first ask this question, because it's not here, but I think we have to ask this. Did Sarah know about this test? It doesn't tell us here. Sarah doesn't show up. In the, uh, in the chapter here. Say, did Sarah know about this? Because it could be very, very probable that Abraham and Isaac are out in the fields. As farmers, as shepherds, it was common for people in that era to be, you know, miles and miles away from what they would call home while they're working with the fields and moving them to different pastures and things like this with the, with the flocks. And so it may be that God came to Abraham, tested him, and Sarah really didn't even know anything about it. Or it could be that they were home, and Abraham, God heard from Abraham, and Abraham told Sarah what God had asked him to do. And if that's true, can you imagine, once again, use your sanctified imagination, what was Sarah's response? What was going through her mind? Was she scared or was she supportive? Where was, we talk a lot about uh, Abraham's faith, through this whole story. What about Sarah's faith? Was she also being tested? Now, if she didn't know about it, think with me for a moment. When Isaac got home after his father almost sacrificed him, and he said, Mom, guess what happened? And Sarah says, Your father did what? What? He almost what? We've waited for you so long. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't tell us here what that is. But is Sarah here also being tested? Or maybe she didn't even know about it. Maybe this was Abraham and Isaac, and they, they went, because it says, verse 3, it was the, the next day. If she did know the whole time that they were gone, can you imagine the, the wonder that she would have had, the, the dread maybe, the trembling that might have happened, wondering that if they're going to lose the son that they just received? Well, this, is, this is tough stuff. This is challenging for her. Could it be that the promised son that they just received a few years earlier is dead and gone that quickly? Now, I know you know the rest of the story, but I want to read it here to refresh your mind. And so let's read together Genesis 22, 3 down through 19, and then we'll jump back to this space between verses 2 and 3 and make some comments. So God in verse 2 says, Abraham, 
go and offer your son Isaac. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Well, you know the rest of that story. Abraham obeyed God, didn't he? He passed the test. And through that, God provided. You know, we see there, as you know, and and, and this isn't where I'm spending the the bulk of the message tonight, but through that event, we see an incredible picture of salvation, don't we? Incredible picture of what Christ would come a couple thousand years later, potentially even in that same location. Christ, a couple thousand years later, would be offered Another substitute offered on behalf of what should have been the sacrifice. Who's that? Us. We should have been the ones there. And the substitute, like the ram in the thicket, comes in and takes our place. You know, when we read that story, what happens in the back of my mind is those words that uh, John the baptizer said when he saw Jesus probably cresting the hill there as he's in the Jordan River. And he says to the people, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's the picture we have here, that God is setting something up later on. Jump back, if you would, to verses 2 and 3, the interval between there. God gives the command, the test in verse 2. And verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men. He set out to do 
what God told him to do. Notice what you don't see between verses 2 and 3. You don't see hesitation. You don't see argument. You don't see alternatives. Abraham did that earlier, didn't he? He said, well, God, what about this option? Or, or how about we try this? You don't see any of that this time. Would he have responded this way 30 years earlier? I don't think so. Probably not. Abraham had grown in his walk with the Lord, as we all should. 30 years past, we should be stronger and closer and, and more trusting of, of our Lord. I think that's true for Abraham. In verse 3, he goes on his way to sacrifice his son, and that begs a question from us, and a question I want to answer tonight, and that is this, why? Why did Abraham willingly obey God even when the life of Isaac was on the line? Why? What was the thought process going through Abraham's mind that he could, verse 3, immediately go to sacrifice his son and possibly lose Isaac? How is it that Abraham can respond with no hesitation, no argument? I want to give you what I think was, is at least part of the answer. Abraham, through those last 30 years since his call, roughly, had seen repeatedly the promises of God. And especially through the birth of Isaac, Abraham had seen that God is always faithful to his promises, that God never once fails to keep a promise. Therefore, there were still promises regarding Isaac and his descendants that were not fulfilled. You follow me? Why did Abraham obey God so willingly? Number one, God had promised that Isaac would have many descendants. The promise of God to Abraham about having descendants was, only, was not completely fulfilled in Isaac, right? The promise to God that Abraham would be the father of many nations and you know people like the sand of the seashore and, and stars in the sky. Isaac comes along, we say, promise fulfilled. Well, no. That's the first step in the promise fulfillment. But it's not the fulfillment of the promise. That was just the beginning. Look at Genesis 17, 19. And I think this is part of the reason that Abraham is able to launch out here with no hesitation. Genesis 17, verse 19. God has said to Abraham, he says, Sarah, your wife, this is 17, 19. Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with who? His descendants after him. With specificity here, God says that Isaac will have many descendants. So if Isaac dies with no descendants, what has happened? The promise has failed. And at this point, between verses 2 and 3 of Genesis 22, Isaac has no descendants. So Abraham is thinking God has made a promise regarding Isaac that he will have descendants. Therefore, I can offer Isaac because his life cannot end here at this sacrifice. Abraham can sacrifice Isaac knowing that God has to work something out or else what? The promise fails. 
the promise is done. You see that? I think we see some of this also in, in chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. Look at verses 7 and 8. When Isaac asks his father, hey, we have the fire, we have the wood, where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham says, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. What's he saying? Isaac, God's got to do it somehow. I'm not exactly sure how he's going to do it, but I do know this. He is going to do it. He has to. Somehow God will provide for himself a lamb. Now, in that verse, I realize also you see some, some prophetic, a prophetic nature to that as well, that God will provide for himself a lamb. That's, that's pointing us forward to Christ as well. But here specifically, Abraham saying, Isaac, God's got to do it somehow. God has to work this out. Now, be careful when you read verses 7 and 8. Don't get the idea that Abraham is just flippantly throwing these phrases out there. Oh, God will provide himself a lamb. No, this is tough. This is the toughest test of Abraham's life. And yet we see his faith. Faith makes going through these things possible. It doesn't make it easy. As I said earlier, strong faith may mean more hardship than less. So Abraham here believes that God somehow will provide a lamb. Would you also go to Hebrews chapter 11? I want to show you one other reason that Abraham went off to sacrifice Isaac with no hesitation or argument. Hebrews 11 gives us other insight into what was going on in Abraham's mind. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So the first reason that Abraham did this is because Isaac God had already promised that Isaac would have descendants. The second reason that Abraham was able to do it is because he believed in the resurrection of Isaac. He believed in the resurrection of Isaac. Now you see the resurrection of Isaac. Yeah, the resurrection that didn't happen. You realize that? This is the resurrection that didn't happen. Why? Because it didn't have to happen. But Abraham believed that even if he did kill Isaac on that altar, that God would have to raise him from the dead or else the promise would fail because Isaac has to have descendants. God had to do something or else everything crumbles. So either God would provide a lamb, as he says in 22, 7, and 8, or God would raise Isaac from the dead. And here's the thing about Abraham's faith at this point. I think this is a lesson that we can learn from this. Abraham's faith had grown to the point where he could obey God. Where he could obey God knowing God would always do right. And yet, Abraham did not know how God would do it. 
He knew God would always do right. He knew, God, you are always good. You are only good. You are only good to me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you are going to do it. Basically, Abraham is saying, either through him providing a lamb or through God raising up Isaac from the dead, he's saying this, I will obey God. And based on his promises, he will have to work out the details. The details are not in my hand. I can't work it out. I'm just called to obey. And by faith, trust that God will work out the details. That's faith. We're called to do the same thing. As we talked about some this morning, we're called to believe and to act. Believe in what God has told us and act. Let God worry about how he will be faithful to his promises. That's not your job to work that out. It's not your job to try to fill in God's blanks. We don't have to work out things for God. We just have to obey. And we say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know you are going to do it. I hope that's helpful, both in your personal life and also in the life of this church. You know, we got a lot of things going on right now here at the church, here in the school, in this ministry right now. There's a lot of loose ends and a lot of things kind of hanging out there right now, a lot of moving pieces, a lot that we're trying to do, and none of it will be done without faith. We realize, God, you are doing something here. We don't know exactly what that will look like. We don't not exactly know how you're going to provide, how you're going to bring this about, but we trust you that you will. That's the faith of Abraham. See, Abraham's obedience by faith in offering Isaac as a sacrifice, it was not a blind leap into the darkness. You ever, you ever heard people talk about faith that way? Oh, I'm just going to take a blind leap of faith. Yes. Against all reason and against all hope, I'm taking a blind leap into the nothingness and hoping against hope that God works it out. That's not faith. That's probably closer to stupidity than it is faith. That's not what we see in Abraham. Because Abraham's faith is rooted in the truth. You see that? Because he knows this to be true about God, that he does not fail on his promises, he therefore goes. So his faith is not a blind leap into nothing. His faith is following God, knowing that the truth is true. He says, I do this because I know God is faithful. I do this because I know the promises of God will never fail me. You know, it's the same reason you trust in Christ. I trust in Christ because the promise of God says that whoever trusts in Christ will have eternal life. We trust, we believe, and we go forward in that belief because we know God's promises to be true. We press on in this world because we believe that God has said that we have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. And that takes us back to what we talked about this morning, doesn't it? Because of what we believe, we go forward. We act on what we believe in. You know what? There's nothing better, no one better to believe in than God Almighty. I pray that the faith of Abraham, a faith rooted in truth, is the faith that we have. Where we get to the point in our lives and we can say, God, I don't know how you're going to do it. But because you are good and because you always keep your promises, I know you will. Let's pray.
Lord, there's a 